officially one hour until your favorite show premieres. Time to get some snacks delivered through Instacart. Okay, let's get some popcorn, seltzer, chocolate-covered almonds, and... <gasps> Wait, did they release the whole season? Better cart some ice cream for the two-part finale. When your day should be ending but a new season is starting, the world is your cart. Visit instacart.com or download the app and get free delivery on your first order. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $10. Additional terms apply. You know those times in the day when you can't fit in a full podcast? Running out to the store, walking the dog, or washing the dishes? Jam is the new way to listen when you have just enough time for the perfect short audio playlist. Get started at listentojam.com slash podcast and get your daily Jam playlist filled with more voices in less time. With Jam, you can choose from news, parenting tips, wellness advice, and more. Go to listentojam.com slash podcast and satisfy your curiosity with short audio. Discover something new every day. You're listening to the Fade to Bay Network. <laughs> Nothing's going your way. You've had a bad day. It's good to keep it simple. Michelle and Seth say take a deep breath. From fade to gray, it's mental. Welcome to another episode of Mental. Last week, Michelle and I uh, presented the imposter syndrome. And I think that both of us have wanted to talk about this because we deal with it so much. So in last week's episode, as we brought up this topic, one of the things we really wanted to do was unpack how it impacts us. In doing that, how did that feel, Michelle? Well, it's pretty uncomfortable, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I mean, the phenomenon, if we're going to use that kind of word, um, in and of itself, is it, it sounds so very dramatic, or at least it does to me. And yet, the more I read on it and study on it, the more I realize how much it is a clear definition of me. <laughs> and that's alarming and somewhat concerning. I also think that it's partially human nature and it's partially about living in America. Probably. <laughs> but I, I think our consumerist society, I think capitalism has a lot to do with this idea of being high achieving. Mm -hmm. um, and what I've noticed in a lot of the research that we've done is the people that are impacted by this the most appear to be successful, high-achieving individuals, people who are striving for degrees, striving for higher levels of education. Well, that's the same thing as degrees. <laughs> you know, but even in their profession, right. they seem to be the people that are more successful. And I think that that's an interesting piece to all of this. Well, I think part of it is, like you said, it's a part of being human. It's a part, you mentioned it's part of being an American, and, and that may very, may very well be true. We are conditioned to a certain degree within our culture and our society to certain things. Um, and as such, you know, we'll pick, we'll, we'll pick up these habits subconsciously. We won't even realize that they're there because it does feel wrong on some level to constantly point out oh, here's my achievement here. Here's where I've excelled here. There's a sense of not being humble, which is, of course, a trait that is seen as a very positive thing. Right. Humility. I mean, from a Christian right. perspective. Oh, for sure. Humility is what it's all about. To right. where it's almost as if we have to put ourselves down in order to feel like we're okay. Right. Do not think more highly of yourself than you should. Mm-hmm. That's scripture. Yes, it is. I uh, <laughs> know it quite well, um, personally. Don't we all? <laughs> but I just want to echo what you shared in that as I've done research into this, it is like I read today's press, like what we're going to cover today to my mom today. And her response was, well, that sounds like you. I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> And as Thanks, I've Mom. done, yeah, right. <laughs> and so as I've done research, I'm really discovering this is speaking a lot to myself. And I, that's another reason why I think this is such a valuable conversation because we're not talking about something that doesn't impact us, but that is very real to both of us. Oh, for sure. And I know we, we, we joked about this a little bit ago, but the high, the whole idea of that we wanted to include a mental minute in our mm -hmm. podcast, in which we kind of check in with one another about where we are, 
I mean, I think we came to the conclusion that not only is this episode, but possibly this whole series is one long mental minute for both of us. (laughs) And when I started Mental, there were some jokes made that the show was just going to be Seth on a mic talking about all his own mental health problems. And I have tried to not do that. Before I brought you on, a lot of our interviews were, a lot of my interviews were individual people, right? I'm focusing on someone else's mental health problems and not my own. (laughs) But it seems as if that has changed now. And this very much is going to center on my experience. But I don't think that my or your experience is exceptional or or unique. I think it's actually very common. And And I would agree. Yeah. If you don't meet the full definition of imposter syndrome, I fully believe that there is a component of imposter syndrome that is impacting you on some level. Yeah, and I would agree with that. Um, I will go back to what you said a minute ago, though, and say I, I, I totally understand why that would have been your goal with mm-hmm. you know setting up the podcast and what you're going to talk about. I find, however, and I believe personally that we should be real and we should include ourselves in these conversations because people can then identify with us when you hold yourself outside of something and just try to speak to it from a place of no emotion or no involvement. I think a lot of people find that cold or I do. I do in the therapeutic realm, but podcasting is different or yeah. at least I thought it was different, right? <laughs> I mean, I fully believe that the things that I have struggled with and still struggle with are part of what makes me the social worker I am today. I think that a lot of the empathy and the compassion and rapport that I'm able to make with people and building that common ground is based upon my own experiences and my own struggles. And I 100% echo that in relationship to therapy and, and working with people. But it's interesting now to see it on the other end behind the mic. <laughs> right. Well, and this is this is somewhat difficult. I mean... It, it's it amounts to being vulnerable. It amounts mm-hmm. to showing that weakness. And as we're talking about this subject matter, showing that weakness is not something we want to do. Right. You know, and so this is beneficial. I don't know that there has been a person yet that I've had a conversation with introducing this subject matter to that has not wa- said, "Oh my gosh, that's me." So mm-hmm. I do think this is very relevant, very prevalent, and important to discuss because I do think a large majority of people actually have felt this way in the past or are currently feeling this way. So it's it's a beneficial conversation. And if we can speak to it from a place of understanding it personally, all the better. So fair warning, listeners. We're going to talk about the four P's of imposter syndrome today, and you're going to hear how this impacts me Um, and Michelle (laughs) and all of us. So uh, keeping that in mind, let's talk about the four P's of imposter syndrome. I want to go back just in case somebody had did not Mm -hmm. listen to the first, um, the first episode that we did on it, but let's, so let's label it again, or I don't like that word. Let's not label it. Let's define it. Sure. Imposter syndrome. It's it's not something that's very noticeable to other people. It's something that's internal. It's an internal process. It's happening mm-hmm. within us and how we think about things. So it's it's somewhat difficult to identify for someone else. You can only identify it for yourself. And what's interesting is in the research that I did with regard to the four Ps of imposter syndrome. There, there were some parameters put on it by researchers, but the experience that most people have had is they didn't need all of those parameters to be dealing with imposter syndrome. They could have one or two of them and still mm-hmm. be a victim. I don't know. Victim's not probably not. A uh, yeah, probably. Victim's probably not. <laughs> yeah. Especially we probably don't want to do that. But <laughs> some of my friends will be soon called I am going to intentionally play the victim. Um, but I think that I think that you're right in that on some level, I wouldn't call ourselves a victim of it, but right. we have been impacted by it. That For it sure. has somehow impacted our perspective of ourselves, of our success, of our future, and I would even challenge of our relationships with other people. So it's multi, I mean, it's, yeah, this, we need to look at the picture, look at the person holistically Mm -hmm. and see that 
you know, it may, you may not fit the entire definition, but that doesn't mean that it isn't having an impact. Exactly. And so in defining it, what's your mm-hmm. definition for it? Um, I, I like the one that I came across uh, in a book I'm reading. It says, um, imposter syndrome happens when there is a mismatch between who you see yourself as currently being and who you think you need to be to achieve or create a goal, despite the evidence that you are more than capable. And so it's it's an identity issue, it seems to me. It's it's the man in the mirror syndrome. <laughs> Lack of self-confidence. For sure. In, one, yes. in oneself, in one's accomplishments. Right. So, yes, a lack of self-confidence. And then, as we've discussed before, probably a fear of rejection. Well, I don't deal with that. <laughs> fear of rejection. Uh, yeah, nobody's worried about that. I don't know anybody that's worried about rejection. <laughs> no one struggles with that. It's that's I'm unheard of. Exactly. <laughs> well, I think that's a good recap. Um, yeah. Really looking at this internal experience of intellectual phoniness. Intellectual phoniness. Like, <laughs> well, that, I mean, the actual researcher, that yeah. was their definition. That's the word that that researcher used. It just seems so harsh to me. <laughs> Well, but is it harsher than how we treat ourselves? Well, I think that's I think that's why it seems harsh to me because when when I hear it said like that, I take it as somebody telling me I'm a phony, which is what I'm already afraid mm. of, rather mm-hmm. than me saying or identifying as I'm such a phony, people are going to find out. So it feels mm. harsh because it feels like it's outside of myself, but it's not. It's actually within me. It's within mm-hmm. my thought processes. Yeah. So let's unpack these four components. I want to go over them briefly, and then I want us to kind of unpack these. So I'm looking at the four P's of imposter syndrome. There is perfectionism, procrastination, paralysis, and people-pleasing. Right. And I think as I mentioned to you earlier, I kind of was frustrated or sad when I saw that because I thought, I have all of these. (laughs) If you're going to be an overachiever, you have to really go for it in this stuff. <laughs> you, you really do. You really do. <laughs> All right. So which one do you want to start with? Let's start with perfectionism. I, I was going to say let's start with perfectionism because that's me, but I just realized I'm all of these. So uh, let's just pick one out of the gate and let's go with perfectionism. All right. That's cool because that's me too. <laughs> all right, all right. So in talking about perfectionism... What type, what personality type does that most frequently fit with? In my estimation? Or present in? Type A personality. driven, You know, the driven personality that has to be constantly going, doing, achieving, being. They don't relax well. Uh, They tend to be workaholics. Things like that. Does that match what you were thinking? Mm Mm-hmm. So it's all (laughs) about setting unattainably high standards. Right. Setting standards that... (laughs) <laughs> if we were to run it by someone else, it'd be like, um, and what are your odds of that happening? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 100. It's going to happen. What are you talking about? I'm going to, I'm going to achieve. I will accept nothing less. And then <laughs> if we do achieve them, right? So we're being perfectionistic. We're setting these high standards. Even if we achieve those standards, we then may even write them off as luck or fluke. Right. So even though we're setting these standards that are uh, unattainable, if we go so far as to meet them, we still somehow discount it. So it's like we exactly. can't ever win. Well, we can't. That's that is the mark of a perfectionist. You do never win. But we accomplished. I, so I came much. across something. <laughs> I came across something years ago, and I don't know if it fits under a different definition or something. But I felt like I really related well to it. Mm-hmm. And it was the idea of being a defeated perfectionist. Mm, unpack that. And, and maybe that would fit in with paralysis when we get to that. But the idea being that my standards were so high that I had set for myself or for the circumstance of whatever it was I was talking about. I had set my standards so high that somewhere I knew I couldn't reach them. Mm-hmm. So why try? And it it's... The all or nothing it, thing. It's funny because I've, I've seen studies that indicate that there are a lot of perf- people that identify as perfectionistic mm-hmm. that actually live in a home that's horribly messy. Yes. And they're like, well, that doesn't fit. Mm-hmm. Well, it does mm-hmm. because you can't meet the standard you've set for yourself, so you, you give up. It becomes too overwhelming. Very much, yeah. It's a psychological shutdown. 
to where it's like, I, I, it's not worth it. Like, it's too much. I might as well just quit now. Well, yeah. I'm going to be honest. That's, that's a thought I've had. That's something that <laughs> I have had many times in my life. Mm-hmm. My apartment, for example, will become extremely dirty and I will not have the motivation to clean it. But right. all of my work, all of the things I do, like from podcasting to my side projects to previous school to work, I try to make sure I, everything is on, is on, is on board, you know? Um, but then I let other stuff fall to the wayside because it's like, I just can't deal with that right now. Right. Well, part of that I think stems from the fact that those other things involve other people, mm. right? You're the only one that has to live in a messy apartment. Yep. So that can kind of be allowed to slip through the cracks. Whereas those other things, you kind of have to keep a handle on, uh, keep a handle on them because somebody else is, has an expectation with you regarding them. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, you, you may be perfectionistic about them, but you will push a little more there than you would just for yourself. Right. You know, because it's other so, people we're, we're worried about. Yeah. I don't care about and their opinions. Right, I don't care about what I think about myself. My value comes from what other people think about me, not right. About That's myself. how we do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I thought it was interesting. Um, in some of the reading that I did, they actually said that imposter syndrome is a pretty much a key trigger for something called maladaptive perfectionism. And I was confused by that. I didn't know what that was, but it's basically when someone raises their internal standards to such impossibly high levels. In an effort to not be found mm. out as lacking in some way. But I think it kind of fits into what we were just saying, that we have set the standards so incredibly high, which is almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yes. The standard is so high, I'll never meet it. Therefore, I know I'm imposter. Everybody else will know I'm So we, we've got this cycle going on in our mind that says, I will live up to what I have an expectation of of myself. Uh-huh. I will be the imposter that I expect myself to be. Right. And we don't let ourselves kind of down. Sad. I mean, we, we, we succeed. <laughs> but at what cost? Correct. Well, right. I also want to paint this and as we go through this, through the fight, flight, or freeze response, um, which is, I mean, most people have always heard of fight or flight, right? When we're in right. a situation, we often have that desire. We'll either want to fight you if I'm under a lot of pressure. I either will feel like I'm going to come at you or I may want to run away or I may completely freeze in place. And when I think about perfectionism, I'm thinking about that fight. It's I am going to – like I am in a state right. of irregularity. Um, I'm emotional. I'm, in, I'm not in a good headspace. So my fight response is I'm going to be overproductive and I'm going to slay every project on my table. Because if I can do that, then I feel as if I've done some good. Well, right. And But see, that brings up a really important point here. And you said this a few minutes ago. We're talking about the holistic mm-hmm. approach here. We're mm-hmm. talking about dealing with the whole person, not just a portion of the person. And so the first thing we have to realize is any kind of imposter syndrome symptom, if you will, elicits a stress reaction. Yes. And at a physical level, a stress reaction has a chemical mm-hmm. reaction in our body. Mm-hmm. We release adrenaline. We release, we, um, release cortisol. Both oh, of those cortisol. are... Cortisol is oh. no good. That is no good. You know, no, I know. Sorry and you know what's so sad is... <laughs> no, that's fine. It, it's funny. And I don't remember if it was you I had a conversa- conversation with about this before or not. But my daughter and I actually at one point discussed this. And again, maybe this is better for procrastination, <laughs> but I have a tendency to stress myself out. Mm-hmm. Like I'll say yes to too many things. I'll try and do too much. And I, I would ask myself, like, why are you doing that? And my daughter suggested to me, she said, have you, have you considered that you are addicted to cortisol in your body, in your, in your system? And I was like, well, can you be addicted to cortisol in your system? You? She's like, you can be addicted to your body chemicals. But how do we even you know, measure that? Because well, we, I don't know that we can. Like, can you even? Because we can't tell when cortisol, like how much cortisol is being released and those types of things. But I guess no, we. But there are there are stress. physical things that happen when there's too much cortisol in your system. Um, one of the things that comes to mind immediately is a lot of middle age or middle of the body weight gain mm-hmm. is attributed to too much cortisol in your system. Mm-hmm. So. That's not the only reason. Obviously, there's other reasons you could have too much body fat in the middle of your body, but 
Well, know, hey, if it, I can blame it on cortisol, I mean, that sounds like a <laughs> winning excuse in my book. Well, it still comes back to your responsibility, though, because you're allowing yourself to be so stressed out that that's the reaction. True. But, but that fight or flight response, like you were talking about, is based on body chemicals mm-hmm. that are your built-in reaction system. Nat- it's a natural response. Yes. Right. So it's not like you've done anything wrong for this to happen. It's, and again, much of this is even at the subconscious level. So you have the physical reaction happening that you have no control over. It just happens. And it's based on all of this stuff that may be happening at a very subconscious level. Mm-hmm. We may not even so be you may be of. going through life not even understanding, like, what is happening here? Right. Like, why is this my experience? Mm-hmm. So it's... <laughs> It's involved. <laughs> Very. And I don't think that there's any easy answers around it because we can't really measure it or know it. But what we do know is that a lot of stress and setting <laughs> untainably high standards for yourself may put right. you in a position where you are going to have increased cortisol, which I am not a doctor, but I can tell you it can result in some serious health issues. So. Oh. For sure. Managing our stress is huge, and it is definitely a challenge for for, for a perfectionist like me. <laughs> yeah. Well, the other thing – so now let's look at the mental health side of that, though. Okay. Continued small instances of imposter syndrome in whatever way it manifests is is like small trauma. It is. So it's this constant source and cycle of trauma, which is pretty close to complex PTSD. They're like microaggressions to ourselves. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, pretty much. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're not only are you having a detrimental, possibly a detrimental physical reaction, you are almost certainly having a detrimental mental trauma happening as well. But we don't see it as, you know, awful or or even bad because – well, we all have these thoughts, so it's no big deal. We kind of write it off mm-hmm. as that's not important. You know, we're coming back to self-talk, and <laughs> we talked a little bit about self-talk last week. Yeah. It's so critical in all of this because a lot of this all comes down to the messages that we're telling ourselves and really fighting against that need to be perfect, that need to um, ha- to be flawless, Right. And so we've got to challenge some of those negative thought patterns as we start to deal with this. But let's, let's go ahead and let's look at the, that second P, which is procrastination. Okay. Oh, my ever constant I, companion. I know. And I love when you, when we say a word and then we both sigh, like, yes, <laughs> we both know what that well, is. Well, yeah. And this one, this one has been a long term, well known issue for me. I I had no idea it had anything to do with imposter syndrome, although I recognize it now. But I have been trying to read books on how to get past procrastination for years because it is detrimental. My procrastination goes to detrimental levels for me personally, for my business, for everything. And so it's dangerous. It is dangerous. But I will say if you manage it well, that's how I was so successful in school. Every paper. Well, that's true. My best yes. papers. Every time yes. I the, my my best tests. All right, was done, crammed for, written, studied, prepped the night before. I may have Absolutely. known about it for two or three months, but if I start two or three months ahead of time, that project is going to suck because there's too much thinking yep. in it. But if it's mm-hmm. at the last minute, if it's at that crunch time. I procrastinated all my time away, and now everything comes together beautifully. Right. Procrastination can both be good and also absolutely detrimental. And maybe well, I, I should clarify good. Yeah, I don't know if you can classify that as good. Yeah, I don't know if you can classify that as good. It's functioning. It works. It works. It works. Because I, I functioned in the same way for school, and I still function in the same way for school because I'm still in school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I always did the same thing. Every assignment, every paper was always done at the last minute because that's when I felt I was best. I was best under pressure and my best work came out then. So what that happens then is you set yourself up for conditioning. So if you were to constantly be doing everything at the last minute and you got a negative result for it every time, you would stop doing that. Correct. Unfortunately, or I should say fortunately, my experience was the opposite. 
Every mm-hmm. paper, and again, this sounds like bragging, but every paper I've ever written was an A. So when I get positive feedback for procrastinating, why would I do it any other way? So mm-hmm. I create a feedback loop that tells me this is how we do this to get the grades that we want, to get the reaction that we want. But again, going back to the physical, in doing that, that last minute crunch like that has to release all those body chemicals. So it goes back to that discussion of, I have conditioned my body and my mind through this behavior. It's almost as if we're putting ourselves into a pressure cooker. Like it's almost as if we have to intentionally put ourselves into a very stressful environment in order to succeed. Well, right, exactly. Mm-hmm. And so you begin to use that in every area of your life, not just say for academic. So maybe this will work in business. Maybe this will work in athletics. Maybe this will work with friendships or relationships. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and I don't think that's true, but mm, why not try? I mean, it makes sense. <laughs> I need an excuse. <laughs> so let's just briefly talk about this. What things do you use to procrastinate? So if you are procrastinating, what do you end up spending your time doing? Because you know you have that project ahead of you. So what mm-hmm. what do you fill that time with instead of prepping, instead of doing what you need to? I get distracted by the little things mm-hmm. or I allow them to distract me. Like I feel like, well, I can't work on that with a messy desk. I need, I need everything organized so that I can think clearly. Mm-hmm. Well, so let me clean my desk. Well, I opened a drawer. Well, now this drawer is a mess. I have to clean out this drawer. And the the project's still sitting there. I think that's going back to perfectionism. Oh, it's they're all connected in my opinion. <laughs> I just say, as I said, they all are in my head. You so. can see you can see that first one <laughs> yes. there too. It's it's right there. Yes, yeah, but yeah. So those are kind of my my coping mechanisms um, when I do begin to feel the stress of my procrastination, especially as it pertains to business. Mm-hmm. Then my go to is not to do the work that I need to do. My go-to is to redo my calendar. Well, let me rearrange my calendar. Let me set up a new task list. And, oh my gosh, if I've done something that's not on my task list, I should add it so I can check it off because I should get credit. Oh, are you a list person? Yes, I'm a very big list person. as well. My least favorite thing in the world is I use a little, I use my calendar in Outlook. Mm -hmm. Everything's Mm color-coded. And I have a task list at the bottom of each day. If... Something on today's task list does not get checked off and done. It automatically rolls to the next day. And I'm sure you know that, right? Yep. It changes color when it goes to the next day. Not the color I want it to be. It changes color. I can't stand it. I will lose my mind. So these are the small things that I distract myself with rather than just working on what needs to be worked on mm-hmm. in the moment. Yeah. I spend a lot of time on social media. And well, yeah, we mm, all do that. (laughs) I like to watch dumpster fires. Occasionally I like to start them. It's very enjoyable. You're a shitster. I I haven't in a while, (laughs) but I used to be kind of known for that. Social media is a big time waster for me. And then I also like to really dive into serial killer documentaries and things on Netflix and things like that essentially doing anything and everything I can except focus on what I need to do. Right. And it really, another one of mine is reading. I I will distract myself by sitting down and reading and, and not something I need to be reading, but something like "Eh, something fun. Let's go find some fiction somewhere and read it. See, I love how that's how you actually do the reading. See what I do for fun is I get on Amazon and I purchase books, which then go on bookshelves behind me right now, which makes me look smarter (laughs) But I don't actually read them. That I mean, that's too much work. Well, I have that 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 habit as well. My yeah. bookshelf's pretty full too, and I've got stacks on the floor, and, and that doesn't even count the the electronic books I have. So. <laughs> so yeah, I do that one as well. The third thing on the list is paralysis, and this most likely deals with that freeze response. Uh, when we're talking about fight, flight, or freeze, paralysis often is revolving that freeze. Um, feeling as if you are completely stuck and then doing everything at the last minute. Yeah, exactly. I actually, as I was reading into that, I I felt like that and procrastination were really close together. They are. 
Um, in fact, and, and I was str- I was kind of struggling to find the distinction. In I my was mind. <laughs> I was too because when I looked at procrastination, it was all about waiting till the last minute, and then when I looked at paralysis, it's like you're frozen until the last minute, and I'm like, well, that kind of is the same thing. Right, they kind of feed off of one another. One hundred percent, it feels like. Yeah, I, I, they do differentiate between it though, and I think in the book that I was reading, she actually, the author of it, actually talked about that and said. You know, they can appear closely related and, and they are closely related, but there are distinct differences in them that freeze response. And, and I do recognize when I've had that where it's not just a procrastination. I'm really going to out myself here. I've had emails come in from clients. It's a simple task. It should take me five minutes to do it. And for whatever reason, I literally cannot make myself go do it. It's not a procrastination. It's not like, oh, I can do it later. It's a, I, I almost can't verbalize it. I get stuck. What's the, okay, I want to unpack that. Because I do too, <laughs> but in very different ways. So when you mm-hmm. say that, you know, you get stuck, what are the thought patterns that you're experiencing at that time? And what are your emotions? Is there any internal message? Positive on the thought, pro- thought processes. Honestly, I, I just recognize that for whatever reason, I'm not able to, to function here at the moment. My, my emotions behind that are immediately that negative self-talk happens Uh uh, that tells me, see, you're failing. You're not good at your job. You're not responsible. All of those horrible fears that I have suddenly make themselves very well known. Uh Uh, But for the life of me, I, like I said, it would probably take 10 minutes often. and, And that's an extreme example, but it has happened. It would take very few very much, very little effort and very few, little time to actually accomplish what needs to be done. And for some reason, I, I can't. And, and it may have something to do with where my head is in that moment or, right. you know, what's going on around me. I, I've never evaluated it. I've never been able to step outside of it quickly enough to evaluate it. I just experience it. For me, it's, it's a complete and utter shutdown. The drive is gone. The motivation is gone. The desire to do things is gone. It's almost like depression. And oftentimes I think those two things can go hand in hand. And so I wanted to share an example. And then I was, as I was thinking about sharing that example, I'm like, wait, that's depression. But technically they both apply. So. Yeah, I think so. They're very, very similar. Mm -hmm. If there's something going on and it's causing me a lot of stress, this often happens around relationships in a personal relationships, and it's recently happened to me with my job. But when I start to feel overwhelmed, when I feel as if this is too much, it doesn't matter what the task is. Like the task literally could take five minutes, but I can't see the task. All I can see is everything around it. And everything around it is extremely stressful and generally not things that I can control. And because of that, that's what I focus on. Um, in working with people on a crisis line, something I would talk about frequently is let's focus on the things that are, are in your control rather than the things that are out of your control. And I would do that as a therapist, but myself, I struggle with that a lot. And paralysis, I experience that when I'm in that thought pattern, when all I can look at is these are, this is out of my control to the point that I can't even see the next steps. Um, and that can last hours, yeah. days, yeah. weeks, months. Um, it just kind of depends on the situation. I kind of liken it to the idea of a computer buffering mm-hmm. to me that I, I feel almost like if I had a visual of it, my brain would be doing that, you know, like when you're on the internet or something and your computer, the little circles going, cause it's, it's trying to do what it's doing. I feel like that's what my brain is doing. It's analyzing. And of course, one of the things that you'll often hear is paralysis by analysis. Mm, um, and that very analytical mindset is, is probably pretty prone to this mm-hmm. in that we're constantly looking at everything and trying to see it from every angle. Right. And there's this feeling like I can't go forward until I make sure I fully understand this. Oh, I relate to that so much. Right. It's almost like I can't take any steps forward until everything else is resolved. And it, I do this around planners even. Like I won't do the dishes until my planner is filled out. You know, and it has to be perfect. Like everything has to be done that art. 
in my mind, step by step, how I function. And if it's not there, I can't do it. Right. And I think that's pretty common for people that are very structured and analytical. Mm-hmm. Um, we Again, that goes back to the idea of something's not on my list and I do it. I need to add it to the list because I need to be able to put that check mark next to it. Because that's how I analyze how well I have performed. Mm-hmm. That's how I how I structure, you know, my work. And and so we sit there and we we feel this this paralysis. And it's the strangest thing. I don't know if this is your experience, but it's the strangest thing because I can recognize it. I just can't make it stop. Right. No, 100%. I generally I know exactly what's happening. But I am powerless to change it. It's kind of like I just have to go through it. Right. You have to wait for it to end. You just you just have to sit in it, which is not fun. Yeah. No. And and this is probably a really bad example and it may even be in poor taste, but I know you probably understand it. Uh, most likely. Um, <laughs> to me it it my son has epilepsy. Mm-hmm. And seizures happen to him. Mm-hmm. He doesn't prepare for them. He doesn't plan for them. He gets very little notice before one happens. Mm-hmm. And he has no choice. He just has to go through it. Mm-hmm. He has to wait for it to pass. And in his case, often he's not aware of it actually happening or passing. But if you're with him or if I'm with him, I have to, I have no choice. I have no control. I have to sit and wait for it. Right. And I, it's probably it. a poor example, but that's how it, it's a feeling of helplessness. Right. A lot. I mean, I think my parents felt that when I had my grandma. Yeah. Because you, you can't you can't stop it. It has to run its course. Right. And as frightening as it is, or, you know, and that makes this sound very dramatic because certainly this kind of paralysis is not quite that dramatic, but it is still that same sense of helplessness, mm-hmm. that same sense of, I, I have no control here. Even though I should, even though I should be able to say, okay, just do it for whatever reason, there's something stopping me from doing so. And I know we've talked about this and this is repetition, but coming around this feeling of helplessness I feel like that's the number one driver for increases in cortisol <laughs> is that feeling oh, because of it's stressful. Absolutely. Helplessness, hopelessness, feeling lost. Right. And that wrecks everything up. Yeah. Well, again, that again goes back to almost a trauma response. Mm-hmm. Um, depending on your background and where those feelings originate, right. it very much could be actual trauma. So all of this is functioning in a way that it's inflicting trauma on us, even if it's what we consider minor trauma. It's still inflicting trauma on ourselves almost. 100%. Yeah. I mean, again, some of it we're not aware of, but others we are. Mm-hmm. And we just aren't quite sure what to do with them yet. Mm-hmm. So, But the last one here <sighs> is... <laughs> I'm going to let you lead that one out of the gate. Oh, lucky me. I oh, know. <laughs> Well, the last one, uh, so we've talked about perfectionism, we've talked about procrastination, we've talked about uh, paralysis. The final one, and it doesn't really fit into that fight, flight, or freeze kind of bodily response, but most people are very much participants in this, and that's people-pleasing. Oh, well, I don't, oh, okay. I don't struggle with that at all. Not at all? No, not at all. How lucky for you. all about people pleasing what does that look like well obviously i mean it's a pretty self you know evident term i mean most of us understand what we're saying when we say people pleasing Mm -hmm. basically we're going out of our way and inconveniencing ourselves in order to make somebody like us or to be happy with us which of course is detrimental on a couple different levels first of all it sets a precedent that then disallows any kind of boundaries to be set Um, you end up taking whatever you can get from people because you want them to be happy. You want them to like you. Uh, even if it's, even if it's bad for you, you know, and, and then the other side of that is of course it sets up the expectation that they have now. Now you've created a definition for them of what your relationship is going to look like. And they feel no problem whatsoever, just remaining in that kind of relationship. That's the way you've set it up. Mm-hmm. So, and I know for me in business, that has been very difficult. When you, when you have a business, there's a point in time in which you do take any work that comes your way. You take any kind of client that comes your way. There is a magic point, however, that you reach that you can say, no, I no longer have to put up with that. I no longer have to accept a client that makes me feel badly about myself or is difficult. 
But I have set my business up and I've said this for years when people would ask me for a definition. I'm an accountant. I own a financial services company, but I said I function almost as a concierge accountant. And they would ask me what that meant. And I said, well, basically my job is to make you happy. Well, that works for only a little while. Right. (laughs) Because the busier you get and the bigger you get, you don't have that kind of time or opportunity, you know, to to give to one client or several clients. So it's kind of a, it's stress inducing that you've built into how you function. Right. (laughs) So to speak. So I don't know. How does people pleasing present itself for you? Oh boy. So I have always found difficulty in relationships with other people. A lot of that has to deal with a past traumatic brain injury from when I was a child, but Relating to others has always been something that is a challenge. And so part of how I coped with that, how part of how I grew to be comfortable around other people and engaging in relationships was all around making other people like me. And I don't mean just in what I say, but in what I do, what I believe, how I act, all of it. Part of the things in which this played out in my life is I will you know, maybe go out of my way and buy people things, even if I don't have the money to do it. So there was this one time I was a part of this podcast community and there was this very popular girl in the group and she was kind of notorious and had a bit of a attitude and name. So she really created a lot of enemies, but also had a lot of friends. And I would, I went out of my way. And I went and sent her like a birthday gift that was like $150. I like got her like a Beats radio thing. And then she was supposed to come to St. Louis with a bunch of people for this big event. And the whole idea was if I go and I buy her this, right, I'm going to be chummy chummy with the popular and important people. Yeah, that was that that all went down pretty quickly. <laughs> I imagine. That is not <laughs> what happened. That's something that I will do is I will, even if I don't have the funds, um, I might buy someone something, whether it be a meal or a gift or whatever it is, try to earn favor. Lack of boundaries um, is something that plays a lot into this for me, to the point that I will sacrifice my own needs, what I want, what I need, based upon what I think other people want or other people need. I can remember in high school really struggling to fit in, and I would literally play out conversations in my mind of if I say this, they're going to say this and that this is going to be my response. I would literally play all of those things out. So when that happened, I presented myself in a way in which I would get their approval. Right. I don't think that's abnormal. I think a lot of people, if they're honest, will admit to that. I've I've said this many times that I grew up feeling like there were multiple versions of me. And, and as I've done some studying, I realized the ego does that. The ego creates multiple identities for us mm-hmm. that fit into whatever situation we are currently, you know, involved in. So it's almost like acting. It's like yes. you're on a stage, you're creating a character, it's character development. And how does it fit? How does this character function in this situation? I wanted to be an and, actor and, growing up and it was great practice. <laughs> well, it is. And that's actually a very creative way of approaching relationship because we are trying to put our best foot forward. Where it becomes problematic is when it begins to infringe upon who we really are. Mm -hmm. When we're putting out there something that is not really us in an effort to make somebody like us. And it's funny, as I've gotten older, I kind of laugh about this, although it's I don't always find it funny, but I've always been very much a people pleaser. I grew up, of course, I've said many times, I'm pretty open about it. I grew up in a pretty abusive uh, household. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of different functions of abuse. And so you kind of pick your path carefully so as to keep the peace and, you know, to make sure that everybody stays happy and there's, there's no upheaval. And so, you know, I came into adulthood doing a lot of the same things. I would work with people and I would put my best foot forward and I would smile. And even when I was so angry at how they had treated me, you know, I would try so hard to try and put my best foot forward. And as I've gotten older, I've kind of gotten more comfortable with myself. And to be quite honest, I've lost a lot of my patience. And now sometimes I'm just pretty outspoken or pretty abrupt. 
And, but I catch myself after the fact going, God, you sounded like such a bitch. You really need to stop it. And then I realized, but why am I, why am I talking to my, about myself like that? Because I stood up for myself. Right. I decided, no, I have a boundary here. Mm-hmm. I will not allow you to go past mm-hmm. it, but I'm conditioned to think that I have to give on those boundaries in order for other people to be happy. But all that does is negate my ability to be happy. 100%. And that's, that's sad. I don't want to get to the end of my life and look back and realize I was never, ever happy. That's not healthy. No, it's not. Can I bring up one more thing in relationship to this? Because yeah. I think that around people pleasing, something that if we look, if we really unpack this, something that I really deal with is comparison. And I think that that is through and through all throughout this idea of people pleasing. Uh, that I'm constantly, it's not just that I want to earn your approval. I want to be as, I, I want to be equal with you. And so right. I will often compare myself to people who have far better resources. All, you know, it, it doesn't even take into consideration any of my own actual struggles and the very fact that where I'm at now wasn't, didn't even seem possible when I, you know, when I had my grandma seizure back when I was a kid, like it, this wasn't even, we didn't think it was possible. And yet I've achieved all of these things. And yet I look around and I'm comparing myself to other people and wishing that I was more like them. You know, if I could only, if I could only do this, or I could only say things like this, or if I only had this, like constantly, and the whole point is not comparing myself in a way that makes me feel better. The whole idea is comparing myself in a way that makes me feel worse. Well, more often than not, if comparison is something that's happening, you're going to come out on the negative end of it. That is, it's so prominent that I think we consider that human nature that most people do that. If we're going to compare ourselves to somebody else, we're automatically going to look for where we fall short in comparison, right. not where we excel. Um, every now and then we may lose our minds and, <laughs> and say, well, I'm much better at that than this person. But I find that to be pretty rare. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's a horrible, it's a horrible process for me. You know, as we've talked about before, as a bodybuilder, I'm constantly trying to change my body to the way I want it to look. I'm trying to, it's almost like art. You're trying to mm-hmm. create a look, basically. Well, there's always going to be somebody in the gym next to you that has bigger shoulders or, you know, whatever, whatever it is you're working on. There's always going to be somebody that looks better. And so you have to stop and realize that you're only in competition with yourself you should only be comparing yourself with an earlier version of yourself, never like somebody else, because I'm going to lose that comparison every time. I don't think Even so. If, you are a bodybuilder. Well, you are the person yeah. that I am scared of in the gym. Listen, <laughs> Michelle, you are the reason I don't have a gym membership. Just don't piss me off in the gym. <laughs> don't come over and try and intimidate me and tell me I'm taking too long on a machine. That'll just get you in trouble. But um, but no, I mean, but that, this comes back to human nature. We are all our biggest critics. Mm-hmm. And so regardless of what arena we're talking about, whether it's the business world or in a gym or, you know, wherever we may be talking about, every time we compare, we are setting ourselves up for this negativity, the negative self-talk. And so, yeah, I do think it goes along with it as well. I do see that. And I also think it fits in there a lot with perfectionism, to be honest. Yes. Because we want the most, we want the best version of ourselves out there. And so it's, it is important, but it's so detrimental. Yeah. It's, it's so damning to ourselves. And so, and I think we all experience it at varying degrees. And as we've talked about these four things, I have all of them. And, and, Me too. <laughs> and, and, and deal with them in varying degrees. I think that I'm probably yes. a f- uh, much more leaning towards perfectionism than procrastination most of the time. Not to say that I don't procrastinate. I definitely procrastinate. But people pleasing and perfectionism is like my hallmarks of who I am. <laughs> so, <laughs> like I said, I think the older I've gotten, I've kind of started beating people pleasing out of myself. <laughs> and that's good. <laughs> For the most part. I mean, it is good, but yeah, it's, di- it's dicey too. <laughs> that gives me hope. Yeah, because you're a lot younger than me. So. <laughs> not that much. So uh, I think you're the same age as my oldest son. Can we so. <laughs> not can we not point that out? Thank you. <laughs> Why? It's making me old. <laughs> 
But see, you're comparing yourself. And so we need to attack am, this negative thought pattern. I know. See, it's so root. built into us. It just happens. Attack it at the root. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I think that this has been very relatable. Uh, this is my hope. I hope so, yeah. In hearing, in hearing us talk about this, that there are pieces of this that you can relate to. Yeah. Maybe you can't and you're completely unlike me and Michelle, but my guess <laughs> is that if you're listening to this, you probably deal with some of these issues. And so my hope is that as we move forward um, into next week, uh, Michelle and I will be putting out another episode. Um, and part of what we're going to be striving for is not only defining this and really looking at these components, but also talking about what can help. Right. I think next time we're going to talk about taming that inner critic, right? Well, that's the first step. In order to talk about <laughs> the coping strategies and actually right. taking those steps forward, we first have to actually attack our own self-talk and our own right. the way that we're treating ourselves and really focusing on that inner critic. I really view the last two episodes as coping strategies. We can make Pretty a different much. self. We can make the fourth one all about coping strategies and the third one all about inter- <laughs> internal critic. But and it'll probably inter- you know, all go all, back and forth, I would imagine. Yeah, so. We're all talking about ways that are actually going to help. And so next week, um, we're going to talk about inner critic. Until next time. Until next time. Welcome back to Four and Toe Podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth, and I'm here to talk to you about my show. Four and Toe Podcast is created by me, Elizabeth, a homeschool mom with the goal of encouraging parents on their journeys through homeschooling. From unschooling to the classical approach, I explore all styles and forms of homeschooling, ultimately to remind you, the parent, that you've got this. From the Fade to Gray Network, check out the Four and Toe Podcast. Raise your hand if all your student debt was just forgiven. Great. But for the rest of us with unforgiven loans, there's also good news from SoFi, the name to remember if you want to forget student debt. When you refinance unforgiven student loans with SoFi, you could save thousands with lower rates or get out of debt sooner. Plus, SoFi is paying off up to $1 million in student loans with our Forget Your Student Debt sweepstakes. Ten lucky winners will each have up to $100,000 of their student debt wiped off the books. It's all at SoFi.com slash ForgetMyDebt. The federal student loan freeze ends soon. So remember to refi with SoFi now, and you might forget about all those unforgiven student loans too. Remember, it's all at SoFi.com slash ForgetMyDebt. Oh, I almost forgot. You can put your hand down now. SoFi student loans are originated by SoFi Bank. NA member FDIC. Terms and conditions apply. NMLS 696891. No purchase or account funding necessary. See rules for free entry. Ends 1231-22. 50 U.S. states and D.C. 18 plus with outstanding student loan with a bank. Void where prohibited. Hi, welcome to your neighborhood pharmacy. Hi, I've got a prescription for diabetes test strips. How much is the copay? Well, it depends on your type of commercial insurance and factoring in your yearly spend, subtracting the deductibles, also depending on your monthly allowance. Why can't there be a better option? Or you could try Contour Next test strips. A 35 counts only $19.99 over the counter and proven to be highly accurate. Go to contournext.com slash radio to see if over the counter strips are a more affordable option for you. Hmm, I think I'll try Contour Next. <laughs> 